Well, let's open up our Bibles back to Philippians. Philippians, please. As we're continuing this series through Philippians, I've entitled it The Mindset That Cannot Fail. Philippians is a very encouraging book. We have covered uh, four sessions on this as we have gone through Philippians. And here we are at the end of chapter 2. And uh, we have seen that the mindset that cannot fail, we've seen it in our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, himself. He is the model of that. We've seen it in the first part of the chapter. It is one characterized by humility and obedience. We see that in verse 8. If you look at it, it says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The mindset of humility, how incredibly important that is, and then obedience. When a person is truly humble, when they see themselves as God does, when they understand that they cannot live the Christian life successfully except by the grace of God, and they yield themselves to the Lord, and then are obedient to God's word, there's going to be great fruit in the life of a believer who's that way. And so we've gone through and we, uh, we went into chapter 2. We went actually a lot further down into chapter, um, well, let's see, down to verse 18, I believe it was. And then we come to two living examples of the mindset of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted not only, not only did he talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, but then he talked about two of his friends, if I could call them that, and I believe they definitely were his friends. And so we're going to be talking about these two living examples of the mindset of Christ tonight and gleaning a lot of stuff in their character. Okay, remember, the people you read about in the Bible were real people of the day. All right, this is something sometimes I think we need to remind ourselves. I think, honestly, when we read it, we need to stop. We need to think about them. We need, Lord, show me, paint me a portrait of this person. Let me see how they were. Now, granted, we're not going to see facial things about them, you know, beard, no beard, how long was their hair, what color were their eyes, those things. We're not going to see that usually in Scripture. But what we do see is we do see their character, and it paints a picture of them as people. You know what? They wouldn't seem really any different than any other dedicated Christian today if they were alive today, if they were coming out to our church. You would know them as, oh, there's, hey, Timothy, how you doing? Or Tim, probably Tim. Okay, hey, Tim, how you doing? How you, how's your week going and all that? And then he would let you know. Now, the other one, a little different name. I don't know if I would, if we were, were not having children anymore, but... Um, if we were, we probably would not name a boy Epaphroditus, okay? Uh, number one, if you know those forms that they have to fill out for testing where you have to put one letter in each space and all that, you're going to have a time with Epaphroditus having enough spaces for your name. But anyways, and a lot of other reasons, I'm sure he would be mocked and made fun of. What do you call him? Epi or Ep? I don't know. But anyways, these are the two people that we're going to see. Remember, they face the same issues we face in life, generally speaking. I'm sure it was more difficult for them even. Uh, They had families. They needed food to eat just like we do. They got sick, as we are going to see. They were persecuted for their faith. They had old sin natures, by the way. They were not perfect, sinless people. So they struggled with themselves. And yet what we find is they victoriously served Jesus Christ with their life. They had a mindset that did not fail them. Were there challenges? Yes. You know what? 
You can be a dedicated Christian and love the Lord and want to do right, and, and you're in your Bible every day and all that. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be challenges. There doesn't mean you're not going to struggle a time with your attitude or with your actions or all of these things. But God's Word gives us the solutions of what to do when we face those things. So let's look at it here. Number one, we see Timothy in verse 19. He was someone Paul had led to Christ, and then Paul discipled him. Now, he was a young missionary, but of course, we know also Timothy was a young pastor. Two of the pastoral epistles, of course, are directed to him, First and Second Timothy. And then he's mentioned other places as well. But here in Philippians chapter 2, such as Philippians, it says in verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus, that's Timothy, shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state or your condition. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Now, you notice this. Paul's Paul's writing this from Rome, writing to the Philippian saints, and he says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you. Friends, this is not like going from, if you live in the St. Cloud area, St. Cloud to Sauk Rapids or Sartell. All right. When you're talking about going from Rome to Philippi, you're talking about 850 to 900 miles. Some of that is over open ocean. There's mountains to climb. There's all kinds of difficult terrain. There's bandits. There's there's all kinds of hard issues involved. And yet, can you imagine Paul puts, puts something into his hands? He says, here, I want you to take this to the church of Philippi. Now think about that. Would you either ride a horse or walk 850 to 900 miles to just deliver something to these people? What incredible dedication and faith that is to know, you know what, this is the will of God for me, therefore I'm going to do it. Even if it costs me my life, I'm going to do it. And that's the way he was. Imagine it that distance. That's just incredible. So let's break this down now in verses 19 through 21. First, you notice he was like-minded with Paul. We see that in verse 20. For I have no man like-minded. In other words, he he shared the same burdens and the same goals in life that Paul did. He traveled with Paul. He spent a lot of time with the apostle Paul. By the way, I'm sure they had some of the sweetest fellowship of two people, two Christians that there could ever be. Why? Well, they traveled together. They were like-minded. Paul mentored him, and they they did things together, and they went through different experiences together. You know, they spent day together. They spent night together. I mean, this was just kind of, they were together. And yet they were like-minded so that them being together was a good thing. It wasn't a bad thing. It's true fellowship. So he saw as Paul saw. And, you know, many times we think of the Apostle Paul as a superstar Christian, and I guess he was, in fact. But can I tell you this, friend? He wasn't the only one. He had other people. They ran with him and he ran with them. And together, they accomplished great things for God. No question about it. Another thing here about Timothy is he naturally cared for others. Do you see that? Isn't that interesting? It doesn't just say he cared for other people. No, he naturally cared for them. The word naturally means genuinely. He genuinely cared for them. And the word care 
It's not just, oh, oh yeah, well, yeah, you know, if you really get in dire straits, let me know and, you know, if I can, I'll help you. No, this word care means to be anxious about, to be anxious about. He cared enough for other people that he was anxious about their well-being. He was driven by this. This is part of the, the motivation in the life of Timothy. This is what made him the way he was. He simply, he had a distracting care for people. He simply wanted to help people with their needs. He had a pastor's heart. He wanted to help. Now, why does someone, by the way, become a pastor? Well, besides being called of God, it's, it's simply a desire to help people spiritually. It's really what it, it comes down to. And you help people spiritually, and then you receive the joy of that, which gives you more desire to help more people spiritually. And so that's really what it's about. There's nothing deep about it, but there's something wonderful about it. He naturally cared for others. Now, you know, let me say this, especially if you don't go to our church. Maybe you've been in other churches. Maybe you've been hurt by leadership. And, you know, you you may or maybe you do go to our church and you think, well, you know what? No one cares about me. Or I've got this need. No one cares. Let me ask you this. Have you shared about it? Have you called about it? People can't read minds, okay? No one can help you with a problem if they don't know you have a problem. And so, you know, uh, uh, let that be known. Uh, Let it be known that you have a need and then see where we can go from that. Also, by the way, you notice in contrast to Timothy's natural care, in verse 21, it says, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? Some things never change. The truth of it is this. Most believers, that is the way they live their lives. They seek their own. They're focused on their own, their own world, their own thinking, their own desires, their wants, and so forth. And they're really not living outside of that comfort zone that is there. You notice Paul says, I don't have anybody like-minded like Timothy because he naturally cares for you. Everybody else seeks their own. All seek their own. Not the things which are Jesus Christ. One man said this, he said, in a very real sense, all of us live either in Philippians 1.21, which says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, or Philippians 2.21. Let me say that again. In a very real sense, all of us live in either Philippians 1.21 or Philippians 2.21. Now think of those two together. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. What a contrast. That's about as far away from one another as you can possibly get. That wasn't a quote from me. I wish it was because it's really good. But that's a very, very insightful truth. And that really kind of divides it, doesn't it? Philippians 2 verse 22, Paul is talking about Timothy and he says, but you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. That's our third quality that we see in Timothy. He was faithful in fulfilling the great commission. How do we know that? He served with Paul in the gospel. Listen, you had to be serious-minded about the gospel and the Great Commission if you were going to run with the Apostle Paul. He didn't have time for people who were slackers. To serve with Paul in the gospel or spreading the gospel to the world had a way of testing the reality of Jesus Christ in a person's life. 
How committed are they? What price will they pay? All right? If you ran with Paul, you were going to run into it. Okay? He had a way of the storms finding him as he went through life and served the Lord. There were trials and there were dangers involved. Yet Timothy was trustworthy to get the job done that needed to be done. Hold your place here and look with me over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This point again, remember, he was faithful in fulfilling the Great Commission. It says in verse 17, For this cause have I sent unto you, guess who? Timotheus, Timothy. He's always sending him someplace, isn't he? For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord. There it is. He's faithful, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere and in every church. Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says in verse 2, It says, and sent Timotheus, there he is again, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. He was not only committed to the gospel, but he was committed to discipleship of believers. And Paul said, you know what? I don't have anybody as like-minded as him who will naturally care, be anxious about other people's conditions. He had such a passion for people. Friend, it's just a matter of being faithful. God will use us if we'll let God renew our minds and think the way God wants us to think. You see, the greatest ability is dependability. Can we be counted on? Someone who will do whatever needs to be done whenever it needs to be done. Let me say that again. What is faithfulness? What is dependability? It is someone who will do whatever needs to be done whenever it needs to be done. These are the people who are invaluable in church work. I know just recently I I was preaching from Romans and I talked about the believers who get used. Who are they? The Timothys. Available, willing. Okay, if their schedule needs to be adjusted, they'll adjust it for the Lord's work. These are the people who the Lord, they look this is the one, trustworthy, use this one, keep using this one. Before you know it, that that, that person's in full-time Christian work. Why? Well, because they're valuable, okay? They're valuable. It's incredible, just incredible. Back to Philippians chapter two. Paul continues talking about Timothy. Verse 22 again, it says, But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with thee. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. In other words, when I get out of jail. But then we move on to verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. All right, now, Epaphroditus. Who was Epaphroditus? Well, the only place he's talked about is here in the book of Philippians. And it's only a couple times, but, you know, I don't know if you highlight in your Bible, but I want you to, I mean, man, these are things to pray about for ourselves, don't you think, in verse 25? He was Paul's brother. 
He was his companion in labor. He was a fellow soldier. He was a messenger, and he was a minister or servant. Epaphroditus was a believer, actually, in the Philippian church. He had had the mission of bringing a financial gift from the Philippian church to Paul. And so, okay, Timothy's going that way. Epaphroditus is going that way from Philippi to Rome. Now, he is only mentioned in Philippians, but we can learn a great deal from his life. So let's break this down. Verse 25, we see it. The first thing is this. Paul says he was his brother. Now, that could mean a couple different things. One, certainly it means that he was saved. He had understood he couldn't save himself. He put his faith in Christ as his Savior, and he was Paul's brother in the faith. They were both in the family of God, okay? Some churches, you know, those who are in that church who have trusted Christ as Savior, they'll refer to each other as brother so-and-so and, and, and so on. It's a biblical concept in our society today. Some people think it is a little strange, but it is a biblical concept. There's nothing wrong with that. He was a brother. Not only was he saved, I believe, though, this idea of him being his brother in the context, the idea here is also a brother in purpose. A brother in purpose. And you know what I'm talking about. People who are like-minded, who are into something together, working together, you consider that person a brother in that project. Fellowship is what brings that. Only a dedicated believer can fully understand the urgency of ministry. And Epaphroditus was one of those who did. And Paul says, you know, he's my brother. But he's not only just saved. There are a lot of people who are saved that Paul knew. No, I think it, was, it went further than that. I think he was saying, he's my brother. He's my brother. There was a, like a fraternity of faithfulness there. There is something about the family of God and dedicated believers that really transcends the physical family. And there are many people who got saved out of lost households. Their families have not trusted Christ, or most of them haven't. And the closest people to them in their life are not their flesh and blood brothers and sisters. The closest ones are their spiritual brothers and sisters. Why is that? Well, because it's something that, it's a bond that God himself builds. It's a supernatural bond. It goes beyond flesh. Now, both are the best, right? You have a a physical brother or sister. They know the Lord. They're dedicated to Christ. You know the Lord. You're dedicated to Christ. And boy, that fellowship is just as complete as it can be. But it isn't always that way. As a matter of fact, it's not that way a lot. So we see he was first a brother. Secondly, he was a companion. But notice the next two words. In labor. A companion in labor. It is one thing to be friends. It is another to be fellow laborers. There is reality in working hard together for the Lord and for the gospel. Here at our church, when we have a major project or a major event, and everybody's working hard, doing their best in one way or another to accomplish that, that it's a marvelous thing. And that really kind of glues a church together and makes it effective and makes it valuable to those who are a part of that. And you notice he was his companion in labor, Now, it doesn't just mean that occasionally they pitch in on something, okay? Paul's, you notice this, he was his companion in labor. The word labor means to feel fatigue, to feel fatigue. So it wasn't just coming to church services here. 
We are talking about working for Christ, serving the Lord to the extent that it actually makes you exhausted. That's the idea. To toil, to be weary. There are many who have the mentality today that to have to work hard for Christ and his church is some form of a, uh, you know, it's an undesirable bondage. And well, I don't think I want to do that. Well, I don't want, you know, can't I get anybody else to teach Sunday school or these kind of things? Friend, do we understand who we're talking about serving? The God who saved you. The God who delivered you from eternity in hell. When's the last time you realized that? This is, serving Christ is not a burden, it's a privilege. It's not a drudgery, it's a privilege. It's a joy to be able to serve the Lord. And if you serve the Lord and your heart's right about it, you're going to not only serve him, but you're going to have all the blessings that come from that. There's nothing better than that. I wrote down, when you serve Christ, you get tired, but it's a good tired I'll be honest with you. If I'm going to get tired, I want it to be a good tired. I don't want it to be a tired of, oh, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. I want it to be, this is a good tired. You know, we, we invested ourselves. We spent ourselves. That's a great term. We spent ourselves on this. And yes, I'm tired, but it's a good tired. And that God gives us his satisfaction, doesn't he? Here in Philippians, look over to uh, chapter 1 again. Verse we come back to often in Philippians. Philippians 1.27. Only let your conversation, your manner of life, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving, wrestling together for the faith of the gospel. Okay, striving has the idea of it's hard, okay? It's grueling, it's grinding. We're wrestling to accomplish the will of God. But it's a great thing. Let's go back to chapter two, verse 25 again. I suppose it necessary to send unto you Epaphroditus, my brother, companion in labor, look at the next one, fellow soldier. He was a fellow soldier, What an honor. If the church would have had ranks in those days, Paul would have been a commanding officer. But guess what? He put Epaphroditus in the same rank as he was. He says, hey, he's right up there with me in this service. See, friend, we are in the war of the ages today. I know there are people with the coronavirus thing, they're thinking, okay, you know, there's, there's a conspiracy and this and that. You know what? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But the truth of it is this. You can be sure. Now, now let me say this. Satan is the God of this world, according to the Bible. Little g, little g. He's the God of this world. Yes, God ultimately is in control, but he is allowing Satan to work. All right. But can I put it to you this way? Satan is on a leash and he can only do and go as far as God will allow him to to go. But nevertheless, there is a war going on and Satan probably blinded by his pride still thinks he can win it even though he knows that he's defeated. And this war is for the souls of men. Now, Satan wants to own the earth. Satan wants to rule the earth. He's been ruling the earth in a sense by permission for a long time. And we know that. And All the stuff that's going on, what's he want to do? What's Satan want to do? Eventually, all of this is going to lead towards a one world 
government, a one world currency. All right, now think about that. This is what's coming. We know it's coming. Now again, whether it's through COVID-19 or something else, I'm not saying it's through COVID-19. I know there are some people who are. I'm not saying it. But I am saying this. It is something that will be used some way towards it. Why? Because the devil's using everything that's going on that's wrong to try to bring about his antichrist into the world. It's like, can you imagine Satan playing chess with God? That is really what it's like. There's the chessboard of world history, and there's Satan in his pompous pride and arrogance playing against God, and he makes a move, and God makes a move, and he makes a move, and God makes a move, you know? And Satan may think, you know what? I think I've got him. I think I've got him here. And folks, it's only, it's only a matter of days before God says, checkmate, you're done. You're done. Now, when's that going to happen? Well, it's all laid out in Scripture. Go through the book of Revelation. You'll see how it all works out. But here's the fact of it. No question we are at war. No question there are people in the world today that want to bring in a one-world government, a one-world currency. No question. Listen, and this is a reality. This is not fiction. This is a reality, all right? They are tracking now innocent citizens in this country through wherever their cell phone is. They're tracking, and they're going to be doing it much more in the future, So basically, the government is going to be watching you and me through wherever our cell phones are. You know, maybe it's time to leave your phone at home, plugged in, just like we used to with the landlines. Just leave it there. I don't think I could. Yeah, you could. You know, we could adjust to that. I don't know about you, but it's kind of like I hear those kind of things. Now, I wouldn't do this, but I don't think I would, but... You know, they're tracking people with drones. Now, I don't know if it's my old nature or what, but don't you just kind of got a little bit of an urge? If, if you were being tracked by a drone, especially they've got them now where they talk to the people they're tracking, they talk to them from the sky, don't you just kind of want to pull out a gun and just blast the thing out of the sky? I mean, it's like, wait a minute. I've got rights as an American citizen. What are you doing? I've done nothing wrong. Why are you following me around? Now, I'm not saying I would do that, but I sure have thought about it more than once. And friend, they're going to be doing the same thing with our cell phones. The technology is already there and the new phones that are coming in, and this is not science fiction, this is just, this is the truth. The new phones that are coming in, they will have this built into them, this technology to where people can be tracked. And of course, you know, there's talk about, well, what we can do is we can use this right now because of the COVID-19. People who, you know, have this will be able to, we know who they are and we know their number. We'll be able to know where they're going and if they're infecting other people and all these other things. And that's not good. It's not good. You know, we live in the United States of America. We're supposed to have rights, right? Yes, we are. Okay. He was a fellow soldier. There's something bigger than all of this stuff, COVID-19 and all of that. The spiritual war, we are in a battle. Every believer is a soldier in the army of God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 3. It says, uh, and by the way, 
Paul's not talking to Epaphroditus. He's talking to Timothy. Verse three, thou therefore endure hardness, hardship, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth or goes to war entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We've been drafted into the army of God by God himself. We are soldiers. Some are good, some are bad, but all believers are to be soldiers. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. The next quality we see in Epaphroditus, he is described by Paul in verse 25 as being a messenger. A messenger. What does a messenger do? It's very simple. He takes the message from one place to another. He takes it from one person to another. All right? It's, it's sort of like even like a bridge. A bridge makes it possible for someone to get from one place to another. Epaphroditus was a human bridge for the gospel and for messages and for letters that needed to be moved. You might say, well, why didn't they just get a hold of FedEx and have them do it back? Well, you know, FedEx wasn't in existence back then. Things were done by foot, by foot, messages, letters. And so it would take a long time for those things to get there. He was a tool God used to meet Paul's needs over many many miles. You know what, friends? Sometimes, sometimes we're not the head of something. Sometimes we're just the hand or the foot or the toe. Can I ask you this? Are you content with that as a believer, just being part of the system, the good system, so to speak? Part of God's army, are you content to be a private? Are you insistent you have to be a general? Why? Sounds like pride. Be happy with being a private. Why not? As long as we can serve the Lord, as long as our side wins, right? And it does win, and we can serve the Lord. He was a messenger. A bridge, by the way, is a tool to cross an obstacle as well. And Epaphroditus was a messenger for Paul. Next, you notice in verse 25, he was a servant. He ministered to Paul's needs. The word minister means servant. He had no agenda of his own. He did not desire to be famous, to have a high position. He said, you know what? I've surrendered my life to Christ. I'm a servant of the Lord God Almighty. And God has given me the privilege to be a companion and a fellow soldier to the apostle Paul. Wow, what a privilege that is. I'm just going to go ahead and serve the Lord. I'm going to do whatever God has for me to do. And I'm going to do it faithfully. I'm going to give my life to it. It's amazing. To be a servant is not so much doing things, but consciously meeting the needs of other people. Think about that. Well, I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing all these things. Let me ask you this. Are you consciously meeting the needs of other people, human beings? Okay. Talk to them. Text them. Call them. Meet with them. See what you can do to help somebody. You're in a store. Somebody's discouraged. Give them an encouraging word. Give them a gospel track encourage them. Hey, that's being a servant of the Lord. That's meeting a person's need. There's such a need for that, such a need for that, which also goes along with the last one here. He was lost in fulfilling the needs of others, okay? He was lost in fulfilling the needs of others. I think we see that where it says, he that ministered to my wants, but also go on to verse 26, 
in this. He was lost in, in meeting the needs of others or fulfilling the needs of others. To put it another way, he had a mind for ministry. He was spiritually mature. He didn't let his own problems get in the way of ministry. And you know what? Sometimes we wrestle with that. We get too caught up with our own problems. And I, you know, all of us have problems. All of us have problems. We can't let those things paralyze us and eat us alive. Here's a guy, look at verse 26. For he longed for after you all and was full of heaviness. Oh, wait a minute, pastor. The guy was discouraged. I mean, he was all caught up in himself. No, he wasn't. Keep reading. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. By the way, where it says full of heaviness here, this is the same term used to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was agonizing over this. The picture, though, look at it in verse 27. Why was he full of heaviness? Well, it says, because he had heard that ye had heard, you Philippians heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick nigh unto death. Paul says he was sick. He almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Excuse me. This guy was amazing, Epaphroditus. He felt bad when he found out they felt bad that he was sick because he just didn't want them worrying about him. He just figured, you know what? I'm just a servant in this. And I really feel bad. Oh, don't feel bad. And I really feel bad. Why? Because you felt bad when you heard I was sick. How many of us would be that way? Not many of us, but that's the way this guy was. It's amazing. You know, I love what Paul says, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says, God was merciful to me that he didn't take him because it would have been sorrowful for me if I had lost this dear brother in the Lord. Man, Verse 28, I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be less sorrowful. Get him back to you guys. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation, value. It means to hold him dear, more honorable, more precious, okay? Hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service to me. Okay? He said, you hold him in high regard because he was completely committed and he, almost, he was so committed to serving the needs that he almost died. He almost died. You know... Uh, we're all going to spend our lives pursuing something, right? Why not make account for God and eternity? We should pray that the Lord will help us deliver these qualities into our own lives. I want to show you another passage toward the end of this message tonight. A couple different passages, but one main one. Go with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. People call this the hall of faith or the hall of fame of faith whatever you want to call it, godly believers down through the ages, all imperfect, by the way, all sinners. Some of them made major sins and mistakes in their lives, and yet they're still listed here. Isn't that amazing? God used them. 
Maybe you have a lot of baggage from your past. You got saved, but you still have to deal with a lot from the past. Friend, God can use you. God can use you. He's looking for people who will be available and faithful, humble and obedient, as we've seen. That mindset cannot fail. Hebrews 11, verse 32 is where we'll pick it up. Many great saints have been talked about up to this point. But it says in verse 32, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and some of the prophets. And by the way, you know what's interesting here? I heard a pastor mention this a while back. All these people starting in Hebrews, the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, and through this section here, and the ones named by name, all of them had flaws, all of them had sins, some of them had heinous sins, adultery, murder, lust, you name it. It's interesting though, once they die and they're off the scene, because they're justified, what does God bring up? He's not seeing their sin, He's talking about what they did accomplished, even though they were flawed, even though they had problems. That's not an excuse for a carnal, sinful living. It's just to say, hey, there's hope for you and me. We all sin. We all fail. God knows that. But there's no sin of these people brought up in chapter 11. Only what they did through faith. Isn't that interesting? Hebrews 11, verse 32, of what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and of Samson, Jephthah, David also. Whoo, David, Samuel, whoo, Samson, we, we mentioned. And of the prophets, watch this, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed or became valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Okay, that's not talking about space creatures, by the way. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection, talking about their reward. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned. They were sawn in half. That's what asunder means. They were sawed in half. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. So much for Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. But here you go. Here's where I was going to take you. Verse 38. Of whom... The world was not worthy. That idea of not being worthy means not in the same class, not able to measure up. That's what it means. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth, and these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made complete okay, or or perfect. Here's the point though. You notice this? If we give our lives to the Lord, if we serve him as we should, if we just take these character traits that we've seen tonight, when we get to the end of it and when we die and go home to be with the Lord, the Lord will be able to look at you and me and they'll say, you know what? That old stinky world that they lived in, that world was not worthy of them. 
They were above that world. That's the way it's supposed to be for God's children. We should not wallow around in in the mud like the people of the world. We ought to think, I'm a child of God. I'm above this. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm a child of the king. I'm an ambassador. That's the way we need to see. Now, let me say this. Let's go over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Maybe you're watching. Maybe you don't know where you're going when you die. Friend, all that I've said, in a sense, doesn't apply to you because I don't want you to think if you do those things or try to be that way, you'll go to heaven. God will not accept you on the basis of your good works. Your good works can't save you. They're of no value at all. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2.8.9 puts it this way, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. We see in John chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. He died for our sins. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You might say, well, I I believe in him. I believe he exists. And that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about what he would do in the payment for our sin. See, let me explain it to you. Here we are. This is you and me. This wallet represents our sin. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Yet God loves us. He wants us to live with him forever in heaven, but you have to be sinless. None of us are. And God says we have earned hell. We've earned hell. And eternity separated from God in hell because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. Wages are what you earn. We've earned a place in hell. No amount of good works will take away the sin. You can't pay for the sin on your own enough to get to heaven. You you just can't do that. So then what are we going to do? Well, because God loves us so much, he took on flesh, sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world, God in the flesh, And when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He made the payment for us, came back from the dead. And he says this, if you believe that he did that for you, if you trust in him that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, he'll give you, notice that, everlasting life. That's a home in heaven. It never stops. You get it the moment you believe and you're guaranteed you're going to have it forever. 1 John 5.13 says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, why don't you do that tonight? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.